Hey everybody, Francesca here reminding you that I will be in Sacramento at the SAC Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with none other than Matt Lieb. That's right, we are co-headlining. It'll be super fun. It is St. Patrick's Day, so I guess we're all drinking, maybe? Anyway, get your tickets. There should be a link in this description, and I hope to see you there. What's happening, my ear bitches? This is Francesca here. Thank you for listening to The Bituation Room. What you're about to hear is the second live episode ever, which we recorded on December 19th at The Setup in San Francisco. We had some audio issues due to some unforeseen flooding in the venue. Uh, Climate change is real. So please bear with some of the pops and the locks. I know you will. And thanks so much to Dominic Delbeni, Jessica Moses, and editor Mark Atkinson for their help on this episode. Enjoy. Start clapping right now for the Bituation Room with your hosts, Francesca Fiorentini and Nato Green. Francesca Fiorentini, I'm the host of The Bituation Room. I am joined live here with Nato Green, uh, comedian, labor organizer, uh, decent guy. Um, Look, slow down. Okay, he's a, he's a father, you guys. Yeah. Um, this my, my kids told me I went out of the house that I was trying to look cool the other day <laughs> and failing. It's like, you motherfuckers. And you blamed your wife, right? You're like, it's from Uniqlo. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, she like, said it would slim me. Uh, it was slimming. Yeah, no, I I, I have a leather jacket uh-huh. that's like twenty years old and like tattered that I got like on a mountain in Ecuador. And when I bought it, the guy was like, the guy who made it was like, "Do you want me to stamp Made in Italy on this jacket?" Uh, <laughs> and so I've been wearing that jacket for twenty years. And, and, and my he kid, did. And my kid was like, "Yeah, that jacket's not cool. You're you're still an old man." Uh, yeah, no, I mean, once a, ja- a leather jacket has reached, like, 15 years, it just becomes an old Marxist costume. I mean, I think we, right? Which is pretty much what you're going for. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, like, like, I looked like someone, you know, who, uh, like, maybe, like, thought that they were still at a Fugazi concert, you know what I mean? <laughs> Circa 1992. Uh, just, yeah, they can smell the patchouli a couple uh, blocks away. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is Nato Green. I'm Francesca Fiorentini. This is episode 12 of the Bituation Room, but you guys know that because you have downloaded on your phone, right? Your subscribers, you've, your repeat offenders. This is our second live episode ever. The Bituation Room, for those of you who don't know, and I'm so sorry for those of you who don't know because we're about to get into it. Uh, this is going to be a, a woke apocalypse right here. You guys are going to be schooled on everything you didn't really know you wanna, wanted to know about. But uh, here you are. This is a Bernie Brodown. It's a Sochi soiree. It is a lefty luncheon, and it is dinner time. So are you guys ready? It, Hell yeah. We're going. It's a, it's a podcast. Do you all know what podcasts are? Yeah. Everybody knows. Okay, good. The front row? No, not so much. On the fence about podcasts. Front row's on the fence about podcasts. I am so excited for our guests for this show. Uh, Just two wonderful, wonderful people. The first person I want to bring out uh, is Daya Lakshmina Ryanen. Uh, Oh, now. Daya is a 2016 winner of the Liz Carpenter Political Humor Award, previously awarded to Samantha B. Um, she uh, is also part of KQED's Women to Watch, uh, celebrating women artists, creatives, and makers in the San Francisco Bay Area, pushing the boundaries. Um, SF Weekly named her one of the 16 Bay Area performers to watch in 2016, and also, you know, Bay Area's 11 best stand-up comedians by SFists. No big deal. Welcome, Daya Lakshmina Ryanen. Thank you so much. Francesca got my name right. I'm already excited to be here. Um, how many syllables? Six syllables. Hell yeah. Sixteen letters. Yeah. Feel good. You, what is your strategy with customer service? It's just like, well, if it's, are you sitting down? Great. <laughs> if it's Indian customer service, I'm all set. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's white people, I make them do the whole thing. Yeah. Just to show them who's boss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I appreciate that. Uh, our, our other guest for the evening is the author of the book, Revolution in the Air, 60s Radicals Turned to Lenin, Mao, and Che, which came out in 2004, re-released this year with a forward from Alicia Garza, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Um, he... <laughs> The, the book documents a history of work, achievements, and blunders made by the cohort who did their best to carry the revolutionary surge of the 1960s into the 70s and 80s. And he's been active for more than 50 years now in anti-war, anti-racist, and radical movements. And Max has also, or this person who I'm about to announce, mm -hmm. has also run more than 40 marathons since 1995, of course, to keep his mental balance uh, amid the highs and lows that come with the activist life. Please put your hands together for Mr. Max Elbaum, everybody. Oh, Max Elbaum. Hey, Max, how you doing? Well, I'm a little out of my element here, but uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to having a good time. Um, so, Max, you're an old bald Jewish communist, are you Bernie Sanders? That's my first question. Uh, no, actually not. Okay, next question. Are you my dad? Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know. Your mom hasn't had this conversation with you? Uh, I call Max the Nostradamus of uh, politics. Uh, everything that has and will ever happen, he's already talked about, so no big deal. Um, he's my political mentor. For sure, uh, when his book came out in 2004, I was like a scrappy 21-year-old, uh, raised her hand and uh, asked him a question, um, trying to like stick it to the old man or whatever. And uh, Did you ask a question the way that people always ask questions? I was like, are you my father? Which I think oh, the question yeah. was you just asked. I was love the question that people do at the I talk. I seem to be getting that a lot now. Yeah. What's going on? Is like, it's really it's like, not me at all. Here's a thing that I think. What do you think about that? That's my question. No, that's this podcast. No, yeah, oh, that's this podcast. Um, <laughs> So we always start off the bituation room the same way, which is asking each of our guests what they're bitching about currently. So I want to start off with Daya. Daya, what are you, what are you bitching about? Big beef. That's what I'm bitching about. Uh, Big Beef is so upset at the Impossible Burger and at lab-grown <laughs> meat, they're trying to put pressure on the USDA and the FDA to be like, this isn't real, bro. Like, regulate on, Warren G on this stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and the example that they use is nut milks aren't milk, but people got fooled into thinking that it's milk, and now they have 13% of the fake, uh, the, the entire milk market. And I think we should boycott nut milk just on that term, <laughs> terminology, nut milk yes, should just nut be milks gone. Is soy a legume? So nut and, so and legume milks. And so they're, they're very angry because like the Cattlemen's Association and the ranchers, and they're all trying to bring purity to the uh, veggie burger market. Have you ever had an Impossible Burger? I have. I've had it several times. If you so, then you must be on Big Beef's side because it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> no, I, I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for a long time. I think it tastes pretty good, but I don't eat meat, so I don't know. But I I feel like it's funny because no one's going around being like, peanut butter could be butter, you know. <laughs> Or milk of magnesia. Well, is that a milk? You know, like, people are so dumb. Like, just let them make choices. You know. Creme de cassis could be creme. <laughs> is it? I think no, only I NATO know. knows what creme de cassis right. is. Um, no, it's true. The beef industry is like, because we make pure hormones and they just make imitation right. Right. hormones. Uh, yeah. And our runoff is is mm, is authentic. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do actually support the Impossible Burger, but I did tell the dude who made it to his face that it was no In and Out, and uh, <laughs> I've, I've never been murdered by someone's eyes before. But it was just like <laughs> like lightning bolts. I haven't tried these uh, grown in the lab burgers yet. I don't know if they're accessible. I think the Impossible Burger is grown in a lab. It bleeds like a veggie. But yeah, no, I, I meant like that they take meat cells and then grow the, uh. that those. I haven't tried those yet. Right. Um, that's 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 weird. They need to. They need so they're fragile. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of 2018. It's uh, if you're in power, you're fragile, and the beef industry also one of those. So. I have beef with the beef industry. That's where it's going. Yeah. Max, 
Any thoughts on Big Beef? Or you want to tell me about what you're bitching about? Uh, well, I'm complaining about the call-out culture tonight. So yeah. I've been running around the country talking about my book. We heard about the marathons. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get in you're shape. Fit. Get off my back. I know. I need to lose weight. <laughs> These, these, these people are quite good. <laughs> very good. Uh, and everywhere I go, people, at least one person in the audience says, what do we do about the call-out culture, tearing people down all the time? And uh, it reminds me always of this movie that I saw in about 1971, The Hospital with George C. Scott, about this craziness going on in the hospital. And there's a great line in it when he says, you know, my son is a 23-year-old Maoist who preaches universal brotherhood and hates every human being that he actually meets. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there is too much of that in the social justice world and mm. the world of the left, you know? Yeah. Uh, we're supposed to believe, we're people who are supposed to believe in change, but somehow we don't seem to believe that other people can change. And we're supposed to believe in people's better angels, but uh, things move so fast from a political disagreement to a personal insult uh, and, you know, it's the corruption from the broader culture. Fuck but, uh, you and your entire family. <laughs> what, do you mean, yeah. what do you mean by that, Max, the corruption from the, the broader culture? Well, I, don't, I mean, it's not particular to the left, it's, and it's not particular to politics. Ooh. You know, it's uh, bullying it's on the It's counter-revolutionary, you might say. It, bullying on the playgrounds and uh, competitive individualistic culture and... Uh, somehow the idea that you raise yourself up by tearing other people down. Mm. You know, politics is addition. You have to get more people on your side, not less people. Uh, but somehow, when people get into the activist world, sometimes the common sense goes out the window. Mm. And you have to bring the common sense into the political world. I feel like part of that is is like activists are so used to feeling powerless and marginalized that like there's sort of having a, a performance of righteousness feels like uh, the only thing that's available because like we're never actually going to win and have to solve people's problems. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, no, I definitely agree that like Twitter will, I'm so excited for Twitter to be irrelevant like uh, if and when we elect a democratic socialist <laughs> as president like and get real criminal justice reform uh, and uh, have real plans around climate change that like we won't have to just police people online anymore like that'll be a great day uh when we have tangible wins rather than just sort of like um these sort of meaningless things that being said i don't know if kevin hart should have hosted the oscars you know it's like i but clearly max is on the other side of that i don't know what the correct line is right now who's kevin hart <laughs> there you go <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what are Oscars? Uh, I'm excited for is Twitter he, to... Is he supposed to be one of my kids, too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he would like you to be his dad, yeah. Uh, father. Uh, father. Uh, uh, so, uh, I would like Twitter to become irrelevant so that we don't have to watch Jack Dorsey tweet how many, how many mosquito bites he got on a Vipassana meditation retreat. <laughs> Gross. Super gross. Um, they, I mean, listen, they smell blood. They, they like that blood. I, I, I support that. Uh, I mean, I support the mosquitoes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> I, I support his uh, meditation retreat and his peace being ruined by small sentient beings. This is I, true. I think that's Buddhism right there. Hell yeah. Just like, yeah, I want Jack Dorsey's forever. Like, his hell is just trying to just reach tranquility and then... Just forever. You are a billionaire, but still. You like my face when I do that? People on the podcast can't see it. It's a pretty tight mosquito face. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, friend, you look just like a mosquito <laughs> in the face just Thanks. then. Um. Um, I'm a thespian. Um, what are you bitching about, Nato? Christmas. Um, uh, I'm, I'm you have to say that with a, with a lisp Christmas uh, I am a Jew 
and um, not I don't have Christmas spirit, and uh, and so I think like Christmas songs are not good songs. Uh, first of all, like there are no good Christmas songs. I found fight one. me, and then also uh, Christmas like the aesthetics, like the cult, the sweaters, gross, it's ugly, and then the biggest thing is that people like people get so. Like, people who are into Christmas just be into Christmas. Like, people get mad if you're not into Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, my whole life, people will be like, uh, you know, Merry Christmas. And then, and then I have this choice of, like, do I be like, well, actually, I'm on this other trip, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm on some Vipassana meditation I'm, I'm doing right a different here. thing. I'm not involved with that. Uh, and, then there, and then no one's ever like, oh, well, happy holidays or, you know, have a great day or whatever uh, it's all they, then they were like well what whatever then you know it's like it get, people get very <laughs> even aggressive. in San Francisco there's even not like Francisco. a oh I'm sorry yeah I mean it's so it's like it's like people people who are into Christmas can't like there's lots of things where we can have a we can be friends and like if you can be into stuff that I'm not into and it doesn't harm our relationship do you know what I mean like maybe you're into sports I don't care about sports but we, and then we don't need to do sports together like you just do your sports thing and then we'll come together on whatever we agree on but like people who don't feel that way about Christmas. This people is like get definitely feel- your explanation when someone said Merry Christmas. Like, why do I have to be into that, man? Like, you why could be we, into, yeah. for example, you do, and they've, you they're do, gone. You. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm reading this book about communism, and oh, you're an anarchist. Well, I need to still need to talk to you about it because it's very important that you study. Um, so, but you're raising children, and yeah. that's difficult when you're not into Christmas and you're raising children because all children, I think, like Christmas. Um, it's a part of your sort of capitalist uh, accumulative indoctrination in this country, and and that's a it's a pillar of 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 growth, growth. <laughs> uh, so how do you how do you deal with that? Uh, <laughs> will you say growth again? Growth. Growth. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't. It, I can't take credit for this. I don't know what's wrong with my kids, but they're like, yeah, we don't want that much stuff. Like, we have stuff. We're fine. Like, I would like a book, maybe for Chris. You know, like their expectations are low. We've broken their spirits. It's cool. Um, so, uh, <laughs> that's because I've spoiled them as a grandparent. Because you spoiled them. They have a doting communist grandfather who just keeps giving them sugar cane to cut for Christmas. Um, so Red Santa. Yeah, Red it's, Santa. It's Red Hot Santa. Green Santa. So uh, my, kid, my kids are, t- are 10, and this, is, this year is the end of Santa. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they can finally go around school and be like, Santa's not real. Told you, told like, you, told you. It, it started this summer where like one of them lost a tooth, and they were like, you know, because we, we never promoted it. We were always like, what do you think? And then they'd be like, I believe in Santa, and I believe in the Tooth Fairy, and I believe in the Easter Bunny. And we'd be like, okay, well, whatever you think is fine. And, uh, and we would never promote, di- confirm or deny. And so then this summer... one. Did you watched, say that? We cannot, well, confirm, I cannot confirm nor deny I really need plausible deniability on this question. <laughs> and they're like, Daddy, stop it. You're not cool. Um, so they, this summer, that one of them lost a tooth, and they, and they said, we don't lie to each other in this family. Are you the Tooth Fairy? Whoa! Uh, nice. Let me see your wings. Yeah, uh, and so then I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do." So they and they were like clearly then over the course of the year, like on the way to coming out of Christmas of like, okay, Santa's not real, uh, and they're like, we just let's. One of them actually said to to their mom, like, "Let's settle the Santa thing the day after Christmas. Ha! We're gonna have a hard talk about Santa on Boxing Day this year." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm bitching about something, uh, you know, just just a little deeper because I pay attention. Um, no, I'm bitching about. I don't know how to feel about U.S. troops leaving Syria, and we won the like we're, we're done with ISIS and we, okay, that's good. Like I, I want. And so apparently Trump announced this troop withdrawal. He didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. <laughs> I think, I feel like the decision might have even come from him. Um, so a lot of people are like, what happens with the Kurds? What happens in Syria? What, what's the future? Of course, Lindsey Graham, who like, fuck Lindsey Graham. But, you know, Lindsey Graham, yeah. <clears throat> Lindsey Graham's like... My favorite uh, Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsey Graham. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, Lindsey Graham, I was trying to, I'm like, what song would it go into? <clears throat> I think he's definitely Rudolph. They definitely just, don't let Lindsey Graham play, play reindeer games. And that's all he wants to do. But it, Lindsey Graham was like, if, if Obama had done this, we would have reamed him. And it's like, thank you, one thing you got right. Um, I don't know, Max, how, how do we feel, how should we feel? Tell me how to feel about, about us leaving Syria. I want to be happy for it, but I also don't know if that's right. Well, it's like Christmas for starters. You, you don't, you, uh, my days of telling people how they should feel are over. Wow. So uh, I feel, and uh, others may feel differently, I don't think the U.S. troops are doing any good anywhere, uh, so I'm glad they're not there. Uh, but I don't particularly give Donald Trump a lot of credit for this, because he didn't do it because he cares about the Syrians or he thinks that U.S. troops are doing something bad over there. He did it because he wants to... Um, he did it because the Turks pressed him to do it, and he wants to make nice with the Turks because he wants to keep his alignment with MBS, who's running Saudi Arabia, so they can fight with Iran. Mm -hmm. And he cut a deal with the Turks that they'll lighten up on the Khashoggi murder uh, if he pulls the U.S. troops out there so Turkey can do what it wants in Syria. So good for that the U.S. troops are coming so home. it's fine. But it's not going to make, there's going to be a lot more trouble over there and a lot more killing. Uh, before this is all over. And it has something to do with the Kurds, right? In terms of leaving, hanging them out to dry or... Yeah, the, the Turks, none of the governments over there uh, are sympathetic to Turkish, uh, to Kurdish desire for independence or autonomy. Right. So the Turks don't want the U.S. troops there with the Kurds. And so they cut a deal. Mm. I just... Uh Whenever somebody says MBS, there's like a split second where my brain goes irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> what does irritable mean? It's nonsense. There's a, there's a condition called irritable bowel syndrome. Uh oh. And so my brain just is like, is that related to irritable bowel syndrome? I mean, it's like B it's like BDS. I support you know boycott divestment sanctions, but it, I just hear. I, I feel like uh, BDS you know, is like BDE. Big Dick Energy, you know? It's oh. BDE, yeah. and it's also just a lot of, you know, like, hot, hot ropes. Yeah, because you were going bondage, domination, submission, I'm going bondage, domination, sadomasochism. Yeah, so BDS and is bondage, domination, sadism, but without the masochism. No, no masochism. masochism. It's with miratable instead. It's miratable. It's miratable. Uh, miratable masochism. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our, uh, our sitch for the week. Max, speaking of your days of telling people how to feel. Yeah, get ready. Uh, our situation for this month, actually, this time, this, this time of year. Right now. We want to talk about democratic socialism. Recent polling has shown that Democrats have a more favorable view of socialism than they do of capitalism. Imagine that. Uh, you know, thanks to a 75-year-old Virgo by the name of Bernard Sanders and a handful of other young Democratic socialists, congresspeople like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and a few others, uh, candidates who campaigned on $15 an hour minimum wage, Medicare for all, rejected all corporate money. Um, socialism is like cool and stuff, you know? So... Let's, let's pull the audience real quick. Are you, by applause, are you a socialist? Yeah. Yay! Are you, do you identify as a communist? Anybody identify as a... One anyone, person. One person. But if we say, Anybody? a lot of people want democratic socialists. Democratic socialists. Uh, okay. Even more. Leninist. Just me? Okay. Uh, uh, Trotskyist. Trotskyist. In the house. Stalinist. Who's here? Mm. Who's with? Marxist, Leninist, Maoist. Anarcho-syndicalist. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, any capitalist, unapologetic. Oh my God! All right. One dude. Is that the same Hitler are, guy? Are you hate viewing no, this? Yeah. Did Did you come the to Hitler the wrong? Guy. Did you come to the wrong show? Are you super mad right now? Um, I got stood up. I was meeting somebody. Okay. So he's available. <laughs> Listen to what Max said. It's about addition. Socialist, get a capitalist. Turn him around. Yeah. Win one. Uh, yes. Um, make the call-out culture call-me culture. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
Tinder, but like with real fire. Um, okay, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, which is an organization, has increased in membership exponentially. Maybe there's some members in this room. Uh, since November 2016, DSA membership has increased by from 5,000 to 35,000. Um, number of local groups from 40 to 181. It's rivaled by the other big period in American history of the 1910s and 1920s. Not rivaled, but when the Socialist Party of America had over 113,000 members, more than 1,000 elected officials. Um, I myself have spoken to a lot of DSA members who literally signed up the day that Trump was elected. Like, it's like, oh, so you just, you were scared socialist. You woke up, <laughs> Trump was president, like, yep, I'm a socialist. We are in different times. Um, so my question to the panel is, are we on the brink of another uh, socialist revival? Um, and to whom or to what do we have to thank for making socialism relevant again in 2018 or this this time. You're Max, me? I'm, I'm still traumatized by finding out tonight that there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, we're we're certainly having a, a revival of uh, sympathy for socialism, discussion of socialism, the legitimacy of being identified as a socialist. I think that's all happening, like you said. Um, and we partly have, we have Donald Trump to thank for pushing a lot of people into thinking about politics. Yeah. I'm not sure that, I think the reasons it takes the form of uh, sympathy for socialism has more to do with uh, Bernie and the fact that capitalism doesn't seem to be working. Most, mm. the system isn't working that well. So I think we're having that kind of revival. We're a long way though from the period that you described of Eugene Debs and the Socialist Party. I mean, the Socialist Party's influence and uh, numbers relative to the population was so much greater than uh, we're experiencing now. And in the 60s and in the 30s, although it didn't take the same form, uh, the left was also stronger than it is yet. So we still have a ways to go. Are you hopeful? Absolutely. Yes, I'm hopeful. Why? Uh, well, when you're imprinted by, uh, you know, because I'm old, uh, I lived through the 60s. Mm. And uh, what you said before, NATO, about um, the call-out culture partly being a product of powerlessness and marginalization, the 60s was the opposite. Mm. I mean, that was a time when we won things. Mm. I mean, I remember those Southern governors standing there saying segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. Two years later, Voting Rights Act, Civil Rights Act. Uh, and uh, A lot happened in a short yeah, amount of time. We overthrew two presidents, Johnson and Nixon. Everybody who had gone to a demonstration felt they had personally taken part. Tom Hayden, one of the leaders of the New Left, he had this saying, uh, chains happen slowly, except when it happens fast. Uh, <laughs> so you're saying we've got our work cut out for us. Yeah? Yes, yes. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> I wanted is, a break. Is, is podcasting enough? Uh, <laughs> does that count? Is this, can this be, can, is, can this The revolution will be podcast. Can this podcast, like, look, you all sold newspapers and marches and shit. You had party organs, like, and whatnot. You, you know, is this, this is the, like, basically the same thing as. Did you have dank memes? Yeah. <laughs> what, what hashtag ended the Vietnam War? Can you remind me? No, but for real, what hashtag? If there had to be a hashtag. <laughs> I'm interested in the conditions. Well, we had some comics back then, too. You know, there was Pat Olson who said, you know, it costs $600 to kill every Viet Cong. He thought we could buy them off cheaper than that. That was his program to end the war. I'm interested in the conditions that led to the new left and the new communist movement um, that you talk about in your book. How were they similar to and how are they different from what we're going through now? Um, and so, I mean... In 10 years, when we have a bunch of wins, are we, start to, are we going to start to feel like, I mean, if we have those wins, um, which I hope we do, like, are we going to start to feel like we have to start to get this ball rolling is what I'm saying. And what were some of those conditions, if you can expound on that? 
Well, I mean, the 60s conditions, uh, what was, the 60s were uh, war and racism and the rising of people all over the world. So we felt we were part of a global majority. We, we didn't feel we were part of a minority. And uh, from the Cuban Revolution and uh, the uprisings uh, all over the world, Asia, Africa, and Latin America, France, 1968, general strike, 10 million workers, students on the barricades almost overthrew the government in the heart of Western Europe, and the heady uh, achievements uh, of bunch of 20 and 30 year olds building the kind of movement we did against the Vietnam War and against racial discrimination and segregation. I mean, so it was a very hopeful time. And the people who were imprinted by that, uh, it's, it, that gives you a deep sense of how, how, how people can change. I mean, there were people in my SDS chapter who had supported George Wallace in 1964. And then in 1968, uh, they're supporting the Black Panther Party. Wow. You know, so you 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 get a There's sense for you. of how fluid that is. <laughs> you get a sense of how fluid that is, and and what NATO said is absolutely true. You know, when you win something in conjunction with lots of other people, it brings out generosity of spirit. It it it's like a family. You know, if you're impoverished it, and you're losing all the time, you there's a lot of backbiting. There's a lot of tension. Should we? When clarify? you're winning. Not so much. Should we clarify that Black Panther Party isn't like a thing that they did just in Wakanda? Like mm-hmm. it's like an yeah. actual <laughs> movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that when people become politicized and radicalized, they're, they immediately think, well, we need to uh, build a party and follow a strong leader. You know, sort of these... You know, and, and I think that's a, an honest thought process as a you know, young 17 or 18 year old or someone who's... Anyone who's like read... Uh, you know the communist manifesto or like what is to be done or capital if you could stomach that um, is like well now we need a now we need a strong leader and we need parties and all this and uh, we need to follow this this book to the T and to the letter and I think what we're seeing now is that actually the label socialism is less important than a lot of the policies that come along with it so being for Medicare for all um, being for a strengthening the the what they call the welfare state, right, um, and democratizing our economy in a way that we need to be, because clearly capitalism is failing us. Um, what moment? I guess I'm wondering, what moment do you feel that we're in right now in terms of is this kind of re- leftward wave going to look the same as it did? Are we going to be? Is it time to build a party? Do we need a vanguard? Is it time to be a party? Yeah. I mean, that's the question is like, did it start off as reform? Was there like, was there that Bernie Sanders character that was like, hey, let me, let me dip y'all's toe in the water of this whole Sochi thing? Um, there were figures that people looked up to, but uh, th- they were leaders uh, in, in a different sense. Uh, Martin Luther King and Malcolm and Cesar Chavez were yeah. the main people in the United States. And they didn't, these were not uh, figures who built political parties in the, or even were politicians in the way that Bernie is. So that, that was different. Um, and uh, I, so I don't think that's, that's what's on the agenda right now. I, and I think there's a lot of suspicion of leadership among, among people who are involved in movements. Uh, you don't have to be an anarchist to be uh, worried about reliance too much on one individual or someone giving orders and the experiences of the 20th century showing that even people who at one point might have played an inspirational role in a progressive sense you know, everybody's imperfect, and mm-hmm. they didn't all turn out to be what we might have hoped. So I, I don't, I don't think that that's what's next. I, I and I, I like what you said about um, democratization and Medicare for all. I mean, to me, if you look at U.S. history, the progressive waves, Reconstruction, the '62nd Reconstruction. I, I like the stuff that the Poor People's Campaign and Reverend Barber are putting out. Third Reconstruction. Uh, it's not socialism, but it's how do you uplift the the society? How do you move it forward? And how do you integrate uh, the different constituencies that have a stake in social change? And in particular, you know, U.S. history. 
if the black community is not playing a pivotal role, yeah. it's not happening. And that's been the consistent threat. All the most progressive things in U.S. history have happened out of the black freedom movement because of the way the country was structured from black labor and, and people enslaved who were of African descent and the way that that intersects with class and so on. So, uh, and I think it's not an accident that people, when they look for someone to identify with, Martin Luther King comes up because of that role that was played of a nonviolent social movement and a p having a moral as well as a political uh, hook. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I sort of like the third reconstruction framework. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I think it's good that socialism is in the discourse. And I think over time, a uh, third reconstructionist program would, could grow into socialism in some form. But I don't think the very next stage, and I, I, th I think there would be a lot of momentum toward that if we can beat Trump and the Republicans in 2020. No, nothing gives people more. You, lousy condition spurs people to want to do things, but without some sustained hope and feeling that you can make a difference, Nothing, you know, what's that Bob Dylan thing? There's no success like failure, and failure's no success at all. We need a big victory. Oh, yeah, we're comedians. We know all about that. I, 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 have, a, I have a question. I, I kind of feel like I, I want some hope. Like, when, when you talked about Medicare for All, like, in California, uh, you know, Governor Newsom, I know you, you don't like him, he even said... <laughs> Said, even Gavin Newsom is saying we should have single payer. And Californians have struggled with health care. But then when you ask Californians, are you willing to pay a little bit more in taxes? They're like, ah, I, I like to help people, but not at my expense. So is it wrong to assume that Americans are just more selfish and dumb now than they used to be in the 60s and 70s? Like, are they just, has the internet, like, hurt their brains and they're like well more for me man like you know uh, it, can we blame we... Amazon and, yes. and two day shipping because right. I do I think that's if we didn't have that yeah or, or when you ask people do you like Obamacare absolutely not affordable health care yeah I like that like is it a dumbness and a selfishness that we have to overcome now that were we people as dumb then yeah. is what you're asking yeah, yeah. right are there more dummies <laughs> more, more or less dumb well, you know, I, Lily Tomlin, speaking of comedians, yeah. I mean, she said, we're the planet of the slow learners. And I, I, I mean, I, I think we were just as dumb in the 60s and the 30s as we are now. I, you know, uh, politics doesn't always move only or even mainly by what's the correct ideas and the altruism. Mm. Things build like a snowball. And if you get some momentum... Uh, people want to be on the winning side. Hell and yeah. people want to be on the side that seems to be creating something that's going forward. Uh, and what happened in the 30s and in the 60s is enough power got accumulated and enough uh, momentum got developed in the 30s through the organizing mainly of industrial workers and in the 60s mainly the civil rights movement that it became a magnet to attract other constituencies. And everybody who wanted to move the society forward sort of got pulled into that. And there were plenty of people who were selfish and opposed to it. I mean, when Martin Luther King was shot, his approval ratings by the polls were under 30%, lower than Trump's are today. Wow. And, uh, you know, the, the capitalist class never reconciled itself to the New Deal. There were millions of people who were opposed to it, but it, it, it achieved enough momentum. And that's where I think things are at today. The reason I'm hopeful is I think there's a social justice ecosystem out there that really moved things forward. We saw it in the last election. We see it in the women's marches. We see it in the teacher strikes. You know, there's a whole ferment out there that's that's sort of now has the Initiative. We don't we don't hold the power, but it's sort of moving things. Mm -hmm. And if it can win a, a few more victories, like uh, Ocasio Cortez and Rashida Tlaib, and a few more things like that, it'll pick up a lot of people whose ideas are all over the place. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't have to sign on. 
you know, there's a core of people always who, who, are, who dedicate their lives to politics who, you know, think about, okay, what is the view on this and what should I feel about this and all that. Yeah. A lot of other people come along, they all have contradictory set of ideas, but hey, this seems to be doing something and making something work. Not all the people who are voting for Trump are doing it because they believe all the racist garbage and sexist crap that he's putting and out. And I want to just put like put the finger on the media and sort of this fake idea of balance is that oftentimes finger I, the media. Enough, just finger, finger the media, finger but just on. one, just one little finger. Um, yeah, leave you wanting more. Okay, uh, no, no, because I feel like we're in a time when all ideas. Somehow, freedom of speech has meant all ideas are equal, and that the smallest minority, which happens to be uh, like Nazis, <laughs> uh, deserve somehow an equal platform, and that we should, you know, lift up uh, people like Steve Bannon, and you have like, you know, um, the New York Times lifting those kinds of folks up on equal footing with the majority of us who don't believe that uh, in white supremacy and do believe that we need to actually pass uh, real reform. I mean, you know, let's say Medicare for all or whatever it is. Um, and I think we, we get bogged down. It's fun to make fun of the right, but we super get bogged down in trying to convince every single person before we can move forward rather than like, nah, we got all we need. We're cool. Let's move forward. Let's not even worry about reading their like shrill think pieces or their, you know, YouTube videos. Um, and I think, so I think it's hard to keep that perspective when those voices are constantly being lifted up on equal footing. I have a question. Um, why, uh, like, the a lot of the energy in the progressive movement now nationally is like around Medicare for all and and a Green New Deal and and free college, and it's sort of domestically focused. Like thinking back on your experience in in the sixties and seventies, like why is it important to think about other countries uh, for people who are do involved in the United States? Well, uh, there's a couple parts. I mean, aside from that, they're people and we like them and. <laughs> it's our fault that we're there. Well, uh, even purely from a pragmatic point of view, if you aren't willing to take on U.S. foreign policy, you can, the whole progressive movement could get dragged in behind uh, a kind of nationalist, you know, rallying cry war. You need to subordinate everything to the so-called security of the country. So even from a very narrow pragmatic point of view, even if you don't have a feeling of identification or empathy or solidarity with peoples across the globe, a purely domestically focused movement uh, is going to be defeated uh, by a ruling class that knows how to manipulate Mm. and threaten war and uh, scapegoat other countries for the problems. So that's one part of it. Now, the global situation is much more difficult today. There isn't progressive national liberation movements all over the world led by the left. There's a lot of ethnic and chauvinist movements. Uh, There's a rise of right-wing authoritarianism, not just in the United States. Uh, And, uh, you know, the the sad fact of the matter is that you don't usually have big peace internationalist movements in the United States unless the U.S. is in a big war with a lot of American casualties. It shouldn't be that way. But that's one of the harsh realities of living in an imperial power where everyone's taught to believe we're the greatest country in the world. We should be exempt from all this other stuff. And the rest of the world, you know, is trouble. So that is a big, uh, where we have our work cut out for us, nowhere more than on the issues of militarism and peace. Mm. Good thing Trump has made us irrelevant. Agreed. We're done now as a country. I'm, I'm just, uh, thank God. Like, let someone else run. China, just take the reins. Um, take, take the reins of this sled. Thank you, Father Christmas. You are amazing. Please, please give Max a hand for all of that. Uh, uh, Obviously, afterwards, but I just want to say you should get his book. It's it's dense. It's it's good, and uh, you can talk to me for cliff notes. You'll, um, you'll learn about the difference. Can I say the, one the, more thing about it? Just about you know we we did at one point adopt what we believed was the Marxist-Leninist science of revolution, and later we learned how to define it as a science. 
that that brand of Marxism-Leninism is the science that allows you to predict the past. <laughs> hmm. Marxist jokes. <laughs> um, we're going to have more on, uh, more on the, our Marxist figures in our Sex Select Overthrow edition, but I want to move on. We have our next segment called Targeted Character Assassination. <laughs> this is nonviolent, of course. We're just going to drag them. Call out culture. We're going to embrace it for the next 15 minutes. Um, the person I want to focus on is a man named Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> Uh, the most Fredo of all the Fredos in this Fredo Corleone of families, where there is no Michael, there's only Fredos. Um, and no one knows they're Fredo. They all think they're Michael. Um, first mistake of being a Fredo. There's not even a Santino. No, not even a Santino. Um, and so the Mueller investigation, of course, is continuing. There's predictions about if it's going to wrap up, if it's not, if it's ramping. I think it's going to continue well into the new year. Um, it's fun. It's exciting. Uh, every, every morning is just, you know, brushing my teeth angrily and listening to Maddow. Uh, yay. Um, but... Every time I hear the words unsealed indictment, my dick gets hard. <laughs> That's one thing we don't share. Yeah. It's like Christmas, yeah. unsealed indictment, uh, erections. The wagons are circling around the children. Uh, the, the children who definitely still believe in Santa Claus. Um, Bob Mueller is eyeing them for their work on the Trump Tower project that was continuing, uh, the Trump Tower project in Moscow that continued throughout the campaign. Uh, one of many, many different things the Trump organization might have done that was illegal. Um, I want to give you a little back story on Don Trump Jr. Um, he was married to what is her, uh, I don't even know, M Mrs. Trump Jr. <laughs> uh, had like five kids with her but then cheated on her during after Trump got elected um, with a woman from Celebrity Apprentice. Now he's dating Kimberly Guilfoyle who is uh, Governor Newsom's ex-wife and who also was a woman who was fired from Fox News, the first woman fired from Fox News for sexual uh, misconduct. She was, yeah, she, you know, she, he likes trailblazers. So um, <laughs> she, showed, uh, she showed dick pics to other people in the office, as you do. If you've ever seen Don Trump Jr. online, uh, his Instagram brand can be defined as trolling the libs Pinterest. Um, it's just shitty meme after shitty meme. Images of bacon that says, bacon's never been recalled, and yet seven vegetables have in 2018. Boo, boo, boo. Which is like, funny because a lot of bacon products have been recalled just for salmonella and everything like that. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, uh, but, you know, got to dunk on the, the vegetarians. Yeah. Look, but when he's right, he's right. Bacon is good, though. <laughs> Nobody said bacon, bacon was bad. I've made my own bacon. It's so good. He, he also posted an anti-socialist meme. This was fun. Image of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez with, why are you so afraid of socialism? And then Trump below saying, because Americans want to walk their dogs, not eat them. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, and then he writes in the quote, it's funny because it's true, cry face. Um, Don Trump Jr. also was the guy who released a bunch of tweets that he and WikiLeaks exchanged um, back during the campaign. He was like, guys, this is all right here. I'm just going to release them. Here you go. Look at them. Uh, his dad apparently, according to Omarosa, called him a fuck-up after that moment. <laughs> Probably not the first time. At age 12, uh, Don Trump Jr. allegedly uh, told his dad that you don't love us. You don't love yourself. You only love your money. Ooh. So shit gets deep. But then this year, he revealed that actually that Trump, his father, D Donald Trump Sr., re is a re-gifter. That's what he does. And that he has been personally given gifts that Trump has received himself, specifically the monogrammed ones, because uh, that's just easy. <laughs> this is low-hanging gifts. Same initials. You might as well, right? Come on. Mm -hmm. So... The real thing is, what's going to happen to Trump's kids? What's going to happen to Don Trump Jr. and Kimberly and their five kids and their bacon? <laughs> is Mueller going to... Is, is Mueller going to basically get them to turn in their dad and flip on their dad? Or offer them some sort of, like, if you plead guilty, you avoid jail time, 
but daddy got to resign type thing. What is going to happen? What are your what are your thoughts on Don Trump J? Uh, I ha- I have another uh DJ uh Donald Trump Jr. uh anecdote. Apparently uh Ivana Trump the the mom uh was said that Donald Trump was re- scared of naming him Donald Trump Jr. because quote what if he turns out to be a loser? Uh <laughs> So I want to give him some credit for having foresight. Okay, that's the only credit I'll give Don Sr. Uh, I feel like he has turned out to be a pretty good loser. And, uh, and that could be a real, real asset. You know, I, I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what will take him down, the foundation stuff, or that uh, he is, you know, too busy enjoying his personal life and he's just going to... Um, uh, just kind of be like, well, I've got this uh, cool Kimberly Guilfoyle thing going on, and why should I pay attention to other stuff? But will he flip on his dad? I think they're too... They they need their dad's love so much, I, I, I don't think that they're going to. They may choose to destroy themselves mm. before. Because they didn't talk for a long time. He didn't have a relationship with his dad for a long time, and he really was craving that. So I'm just giving my... Opinion as a I wonder what he did during that time. Did he go? Did he like Dorsey it up and do some vinyasa yoga retreats and get oh. just like? I think he went you know. hunting. I think he probably went hunting for bacon. You know, like bison bacon, elephant sure, bacon, some, some rare boar, right. and pose with them. Right. What do you think, Max? Jeez, I. Uh, <laughs> so beneath. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to. Go back and read Oedipus again or something. <laughs> <laughs> really no idea. I feel, I feel bad for Don Trump Jr. Um, like, I, I have met rich kids who came from money, and they're fucking crazy. Like, growing up with, like, like, you, like you, you, can, you see it happening. Like, if you, if you come from that level of privilege where, like, everything is handed to you, people spend your entire life telling you that you're awesome and that, and that you deserve everything that you have, which you clearly do not, like, you have to, like, just engage in this massive amount of self-deception to, like, you have no sense of what you are actually capable of yourself. Like, like uh, you know, and the, you have no sense that you've accompli- actually accomplished the things that... that that you have and so it's just like this constant level of like bullshitting yourself and uh and it seems like it's very uncomfortable like it's you know he like i wonder if there's a contract between them yeah i mean i think that because i think it's like come back to the family and uh we'll have an entire line of junior steaks (laughs) and they'll be your own steak they'll be like rare bison uh, and you know, you, I mean, I wonder if there's like if they're contractually obligated to like smile and be next to their father. I um, just I just feel like Don Jr. is you know he's one of those people who's like his life mantra is he's one of the, like is like uh, I didn't know I couldn't do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. you know he's just like the Chappelle line. The, he you know he yeah. he he like spent his whole life doing what you know I you know he got to the to the to the White House. I don't think he even wants to be in the White House. He just wants to be a dude who has a lot of money and parties. And now he's like, oh, Trump or Junior? J- junior. Yeah. Like, junior have to junior think really about wanted to help. Who is the Secretary of Interior? Like, do you think yeah. Don Junior knew what the Department of the Interior was in 2014? No, probably not. Like, and I was like, oh, no, shit, I got to think about this other thing. I think he and Ivanka, the first time they voted, correct me if I'm wrong, was for their father. So that's sort of the caliber of people we're dealing with. Um, I. I think he, I think Don, I think his father doesn't give a fuck what happens to his kids. I think that they, and, and this will be a, just the perfect re- way to get revenge on your dad, just to flip on him and tell him it was all his idea. We know it was. So whatever we can just send out into the ether to support Don Trump Jr. Watch, um, it's going to be Barron. Barron's going to bring the whole system down. He will. Ah. Baron's going to be like, I have the codes. <laughs> Does he have a personality, little Baron? What, is, what does he do? What's he like in school? Is he the bully or is he bullied or, you know, does he... I feel like he just constantly has like a, just like a, a 
uh, like a Goo Goo Dolls song playing in his head, like, and I don't want the world to see me, you know, like, I don't, you know, like, that's just barren 24-7 all the time, poor guy. Um, uh, Baron's gonna be fucked up, you guys. We need to save Bar- Baron, Baron of the Barricades, all right? He's gonna be known as Baron Cade when we convert him to, uh, you know, anarcho-syndicalism. Uh, <laughs> Who's worse, Eric or Don Jr.? I think Don Jr. Oh, yeah, no, Eric's totally harmless. Is he? Yeah, no. He's, Eric, Eric's going to have a line of, like, Tempur-Pedic pillows um, and that are going to come out and... Uh, in... Eric is going to end up on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Our last section uh, is Sex Elect Overthrow. Instead of fuck, marry, kill, we talk about who we would like to sex, who we would like to elect, who we would like to overthrow. That could be any capacity. Since your book, Max, is Revolution in the Air, subtitle, 60s Radicals Turn to Lennon, Mao, and Che, obviously, sex to elect, overthrow, Lennon, Mao, or Che. Uh, I would say you have to go sex, Che. I don't know if I've yes. mentioned this recently. I lived in Cuba. <laughs> um, I haven't mentioned this Not in the last in a full half minutes, hour. But um, I did live in Cuba, and... Che is super sexy like after, like after once the revolution starts. So if you look at pictures of Che before he leaves Mexico uh, on the boat, he's, he just looks like a nerdy marina dude. He's like a thick neck. He's got like a, like a neckerchief on. He's very clean shaven. Oh, yeah, the neckerchief. Yeah, he's like, oh, this dude's a dork. Uh, but then, then, then he, then he the, like, the, the yacht lands. They make it up into the mountains. He unbuttons his collar. There's a lot of open shirt. Yeah. He gets scraggly. Ooh. He's an early hipster. You're selling he's just well. like him, like shiny, smoking cigars, smiling at people, hold machine guns. He's fine. And he would then, ghost you so, so quickly. Yeah. NATO, he would never text you back. Che's got like 50 texts, like 50 women have in- texts into Che at, upon his death. Like, we're just like waiting for him to get back to them. And then... Anyway... But- but I wouldn't elect or overthrow him because you can, like, like he, like, at the rev- they win the revolution, uh, uh, and Che becomes, like, minister of, you know, something in, within the industry, the Cuban government. And then pretty quickly he's like, you know what? I wanted to be a sexy revolutionary. I didn't want to be yeah. a bureaucrat. Yeah, peace. And then he, then he takes off and starts walking around Africa being like, anyone else want a revolution? Have I mentioned how sexy I am? Have you looked at my dope beard? I'm, re- I'm here to fuck. You know what I mean? Like... So, His quote uh, is, true revolutionaries are guided by great feelings yeah. of love. Of love. Che was there to smash that ass. <laughs> and imperialism, both. It was a yeah. twofer. Uh, so, uh, now, uh, uh, that's, that's why you got to sex Che. Now, uh, I would say um, uh, overthrow Mao uh, because, you know, a lot of people died. Uh, Mao very effective at carrying out the revolution. It turns out governing is much harder than overthrowing the government. It turns out in the scale, like you, it, like as a revolutionary, you think like, oh, overthrowing the government is gonna be the hardest thing I ever do. It turns out that over, in the scale of historic projects, overthrowing the government is not that hard. Uh, the hard part is then building a new society. After that, uh, Mao struggled with that. But have overthrow. you made your own bacon? I yeah. mean, I think that's really what, one did, sweet. He did do some cool swimming uh, after the revolution. So, and then- Mao say, did? Yeah. There's some famous swimming. He learned how to swim? No, no, no. He like, like later on, right? Later on, people were like, Mao's too old. He can't lead the revolution. He was like, like watch this. I'm going to swim. And then he did some serious swimming. And people were like, oh, I guess he's still got it. So Bernie. Because that's that's how you. That's if, how you. If Bernie's listening to the bituation room. I don't. I swim, don't, motherfucker, swim. I mean, on the flip, like that's, that's why they said, you know, like you need, you need feats of strength to be a head of state. Like that's why Carter lost is he had that marathon or that race and then he was sweaty on the news, right? That's how, that's how history works. I don't know. Um, so, and then elect. Well, it's certainly how comedy works. Yeah. Uh, we distort truth to get to deeper truth. Um, and then uh, elect Lenin uh, because he wrote the shit out of some pamphlets. Love those Lenin pamphlets. What is to be Short. done? Imperialism in the high stage of capitalism. It's good stuff, Bob. Uh, so, gotta, gotta elect that. All right, that's, those are So it's done. I, I totally agree with NATO. Uh, che is smoking hot and... 
Every uh, person in Berkeley has had him on their chest. So he's been on many collective chests with that shirt. So you might as well, you know, let him know how you feel. Like the motorcycle, the poetry, all that stuff. So uh, he even has like a cool name, like Che. You know, like it's just one syllable. Well, like his, friends, name, his real Mon, name is Ernesto. Chen. So it's like yes. you had it to could, go with Che. You know, like Ernesto, go, go, you know, the, you know. He could have been Ernie. Yeah, Ernie could have been Ernie. Ernie was the dude who got on that boat with a neckerchief. Right. So he he he's he looks good on a shirt. He probably would sext you back poetry. Uh, yeah, he would invite you on the motorcycle ride. Uh, I think he. I mean, I don't want a relationship. Uh, neither neither does he. He's uh, he's busy. But you know, like every hot guy has that ugly dude, like Fidel Castro, that uh, he just hangs out with, and he like is like. Oh, yeah, you know, he's just my friend. I'm bringing him along. And then Che's like, but, you know, I got you, girl. And Fidel's like, would you, would you like some rations? And you're like, ooh, just don't talk. Just don't talk. Uh, so I, I think Che definitely. Um, Mao, kind of a shitty motherfucker. You know, like uh, all the, you know, I feel bad for, you know, everything that happened in Tibet. Uh, he just really, you know, kind of fucked up everything. So overthrow. Uh, I don't think I would elect Lenin to anything, but right now I think he would be great on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Like, I think he could really fuck some shit up, and he would be like the, who's it, Chris Daly? Uh, like, he could be like the second coming of, like, he would just yell and, you know, be upset, but... But I might sympathy sext him because he was in Siberia for so long. He's probably lonely. Oh yeah, he you know, would sext you back. Yeah, he would. He would. He wouldn't. He wouldn't really have anything else going on. He's like cold, and you know, I might sympathy sext him, and uh, just to be like, you don't know, don't worry, baby. You're gonna be on the San baby, Francisco Board of Supervisors uh, one day. Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. Is what I would sext Lennon. Max. Well, now that I got to hang in this, I, well, I, you know, I, I, I guess it's what are you looking for? And, you know, so, I mean, I, 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 get, I get all the, all the sexiness of Che and all that, but, but if you're looking for a monogamous relationship, really, Lenin is the way to go. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he believed in monogamy, and according to every single uh, report, he actually practiced it wow. with Krupskaya. So, uh, you know, maybe if you're in your teens or early 20s, Che is the way to go, but you get to be a little older, you, you think about other things. So, Lenin. So you're going to um, sex then, uh, Lenin monogamously. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Max doesn't know how sexing works. Just Let's just se go with it. We're going with it. Sex Lenin pictures of brunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, I know that I'm, I'm going to typecast myself here, but, you know, Lenin actually lost some votes and lived with losing for a while. Mm. That's not true of either Mao or Che. So if you're gonna vote, I go with him too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, uh, and and uh, and I pretty much agree with what was said about Chairman Mao. I mean, uh, he was a great guerrilla leader, but um, he was not monogamous. <laughs> he not only did he not lose votes. When he did lose votes, he just dispensed with them. <laughs> There's a really good food truck turned into little restaurant in Tenderloin called Chairman Bao. Oh, and they have these so great good. bows. So I feel like if he contributed anything, it was pun and food. Sure. And that's great retribution for... Yeah. Uh, for killing. For, for the amount of deaths. They also have tempeh there, so I, I want to yeah. really give them a plug. Um, I'm going to disagree with all three of you. Uh, uh, you have to... <laughs> you have to sex Chairman Mao. You sexed him. He needs to remain because my family history wouldn't have happened had Chairman Mao not been around. My family would not have fled from China to New York. Then, well, then my mom, then my mom had a whole other trajectory. The point is, keep Chairman Mao. You sexed him. Make him, you know, maybe like 
hey baby, I got a great leap in my pants or something, you know. Uh, there, you check this great leap out. I've got a boxer uprising in my pants. So you sext him, uh, diffuse him a little bit, change history, uh, butterfly effect. And then you, uh, you elect Che. Why? Because he doesn't want to be in power, and I like that. I want someone who doesn't want power grabs. I want someone who's not really used to elected office. I want to give him another chance. Um, he was against the way that the Cuban government was going uh, in terms of the economy and industry. I don't know what the actual difference was, but I'm going to say Che was right, you know? <laughs> Just going out on a limb, even though the Cuban government's still around. <laughs> and uh, they probably didn't need him in the end. But I like someone who's in power who doesn't really want to be there, who can sort of struggle with this idea of like, you know, uh, maybe they're a little more democratic. Um, overthrow Lenin. Here's why. Uh, <laughs> you, you, done, you serve your time. Thank you, sir. And uh, <laughs> um, maybe the Russian Revolution became a little more author authoritarian than it needed to be. Right, and I lean more anti-authoritarian. Emma Goldman said that uh, there needed to be a revolution of values and not just of like uh, taking state power. And so I'm waiting on the next Lenin. I'm waiting on the person who can actually bring us that revolution of values and not just you know seizing the means of production, etc. I want some some real heart heart revolution. And uh, please don't quote me on anything I just said. Uh, and that is that is my that is my sex elect overthrow. That was really good. Thank you. You thought about it. You were oh, altruistic. I thought a lot about it. You didn't just do it from your groin like we did. Like you are, <laughs> you did it from your brain and heart. You, you were I a mean, it took me an hour to get over not sexting Che. I was like, then, then what would I say? <laughs> <laughs> you guys, thank you so much for coming out to the Vituation Room Live. Uh, it, please give it up for Max Elbaum, Daya Lakshmina Ryanen. We're going to be here January 16th in the new year. Listen every single week. Give us five stars. Um, thank you so much for coming out. Seriously, each and every one of you literally means the world that you're here. It is so fun. This uh, is basically the revolution. Like, you've done your part. Yeah. So Just buy those it, Christmas gifts. Get the system those. is collapsing now. The empire is breaking. <laughs> uh, give it up, y'all, once more. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Yeah.